Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to Pirates Talk. The Seton Hall Pirates have gotten off to their expected 2-0 start, opening with an easy win over FDU, then following that up with a somewhat surprising blowout of two-time defending Ivy League champion Yale. But now things get interesting. Though there are some lesser names on the upcoming schedule, the Pirates play a challenging slate of contests this year before the Big East gets underway. Tuesday night, Seton Hall travels to Ann Arbor, Michigan to take on the fourth-ranked University of Michigan Wolverines, led by the sublime big man Hunter Dickinson and guard Eli Brooks. It's the first meeting between the two teams since the 1989 National Championship game where Michigan edged the hall in one of the most exciting championships ever and one of the most controversial as well. Joining me this week to discuss Tuesday's Michigan game, the hall's beginning, and that game long ago is my good friend Jerry Carino of the Asbury Park Press, one of the premier college basketball writers in America, a voter in the Associated Press Top 25 poll, and a proud Seton Hall alum as well. Jerry Carino, thank you so much for giving me some of your time. Welcome to Pirates Talk once again. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great because it's November and it's hoop season. And you know what? Hoop season is heating up really fast this week. It really is. I mean, and I talked in the introduction that for the first time in 32 years, Seton Hall and Michigan are going to play, and we're going to get to that game in just a second. But uh, 32 years ago, you asked Kevin Willard after Sunday's game against jail after victory where he was, and he had trouble <laughs> remembering what he was doing at the time and going through the machinations. But he did say, but I've heard all about it from alums and from Raft and from PJ. Where were you? In 1989, yeah. So I was in uh, the den of my of my parents' house. My dad, my brother, and I were watching. I was in high school, and uh, two things: we had we had just gotten a big TV for the first time. If you remember the era, it was every TV was pretty small, right? Mm-hmm. And a little dial. So we had gotten what was at the time a big TV. My father always said it fell off a truck. So who knows where it came from? But it was it was so big it overwhelmed the table it was on. So we're watching the game on this TV, and I had a girlfriend who kept calling, and it was, you know, the pre-cell phone era, long before. And so she's calling. The house line kept ringing. So finally, we just took the phone off the hook <laughs> to watch the game. And you know, it was it was one of those things like you don't forget, Matt. You just don't forget and. It really was like the first time that so that whole run, you know, that year was the first time Seton Hall really, really dove into my consciousness. And it's, it's where I wound up going to college. So and I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that 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 run, that game, unforgettable, you know, really opened the door to to me looking at the school and and it really changed the school's history in a lot of ways. Well, and that points out what a lot of administrators will say when a school's athletic teams are performing at a high level and there are always those who rail against the cost and the nuclear arms race in college athletics, but administrators will tell you, admissions people will tell you, the interest in the school goes up and they benefit from more applications, better quality of applicants, and it's a win-win situation. Yeah, I mean, they not only did the did the applicant pools shoot up, but they they built a campus. You know, the campus prior to 1989, and you know, this was it was two dorms. It was 
you know, a couple of classroom buildings and a lot of parking. And they really took that and they built that rec center out. You know, they built uh, four dormitories, if I'm not mistaken, at least four dorms. And the, the campus was just forever changed. Eventually, the library goes up a couple of years later. And, and it looks nothing like it did. So and, and now it's the school isn't the enrollment's not that much higher. But, you know, they've been able to totally change the vibe of the place based on all the people who want to apply there who now notice the school. And as you know, Matt, it was it was strictly a New Jersey school. And now there's people, even though it is still metropolitan area based, there's people there from all over. So it was a it was a watershed moment that that everybody at the school at the time really capitalized on. Matt, they didn't have they didn't have a pep band. I mean, they did not have a band in until 1988 the 87, 88 season and team got good. And someone was like, you know, we got to have a band if we're going to go to the NCAA tournament. And so they did form a band. It was just to show you how far they came. Well, I will say that when I attended Seton Hall and it was prior to you going there and I had graduated from the hall by time they had made it to Seattle to play Michigan. But when I was at Seton Hall, they did have a little semblance of a, a pep band that disbanded. It wasn't the extent that it is now. But also to, okay. tell, to tell you when I was there, there was New Boland Hall, which was the bright, shiny addition to Old Boland Hall. Yeah, North Boland. Yeah, and the place they just called the Woman's Dorm. So it has changed without question for the better. And that was, as you said, a watershed, a watershed moment for Seton Hall. Want to talk about the Michigan game, but I think the fact that you said it was an ex-girlfriend, see the phone call during a national <laughs> championship game probably probably let you know at that moment this was not going to last. <laughs> My father said a few things that would not go that would not look good on social media that night. <laughs> it would not look good in black and white, let's put it that way. Uh, so yeah, it was uh that was it. That relationship ended and but you know what? The, the 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 relationship with the pirates has gone on a long time no question about that and, and i will tell you i was with a group of friends uh i was with uh, my wife we had only been married for at that point uh, about two years a little less than two years and uh, a group of friends and we watched at a friend's office uh he had uh he had a, a room that he could set up a, a boardroom available to him and he set it up we had food we had beer and probably a few other hard drinks as well. Uh-huh. And I, I remember collapsing to the floor. It was such an exciting game, but I remember literally falling to the floor when the foul call was made. Uh-huh. I could not believe it. Uh-huh. I, mean, I could not just, believe it. You still can't. No, you, you can't. can't. The only problem with that, and I, I'll relate this, and then we'll move on to this year and, and more. The, the thing that I, I say is, you know, the Buffalo Bills lost four straight Super Bowls. Four straight. Right. And it was heartbreak every year, wide right and all that sort of stuff. But they went to four, and we have to remember that. And I know the foul call, Ramil Robinson hitting the free throws, taints somewhat and stays in people's minds longer than it should what was accomplished by that team and PJ. And I, I think more focus needs to be, and I, I know it's been there, but Let's forget about what could have been, should have been. That was a great team that brought great honor to Seton Hall and put them in a place where they're now a recognized basketball important school and 
a strong member of the Big E. So that's what that team was all about, despite the heartbreak at the end. Yeah, it was a great team. And, and listen, they, it's the closest New Jersey's ever come to a Division One men's basketball champion. Uh, you can't get any closer. And so, and it was, you know, I was, Kevin did bring this up yesterday. You know, Willard's, Willard's watched the game on, on replay. He's seen it on classic sports network and all that, but he made a good point. I mean, it was a great high level game. It was, it was one of the most well-played, exciting NCAA finals I can remember. And there've been a lot of good ones, but the game went into overtime. It was, it was decided by one point and it's still the last game at 32 years on to going on 33 years. It's still the last NCAA final where he decided by one point. You know, Seton Hall had four four NBA players on that roster. Four. So, and if you when you take it to the larger sweep of that the the program had been nowhere four years earlier, you know, the dregs of the Big East, uh, it, the dramatic rise, it really is was an incredible story, and that. And it still is an incredible story, and that's why we're still talking about it. Without a doubt. And and for those who are listening, uh, make sure if you still have a neighborhood newsstand, pick up an Asbury Park Press or go online, app.com. Jerry's got a story where he quotes several of the players on that team uh, about that moment as Seton Hall gets ready to play Michigan on Tuesday night in Ann Arbor. Jerry, what are you expecting in this game as Seton Hall goes up against the highly ranked Wolverines? I don't really know. Uh, it's a great question. People have asked me, and I don't. I'm just not comfortable making a prediction. It's there's so many variables. I mean, you you have the return of fans. Like this is going to be the first time that Michigan's played a, a game with a really souped up crowd. I know they played two home games against mid majors. This will be the first big stage home game for them. It, you know, since March of 2020, and the Seton Hall hasn't played a real road game. They played a couple games with some people there last year at Butler at Creighton, but this is the first real road game these guys have played in in almost two years. And this group has never obviously played a road game together, so I don't know. There's a lot of variables, X factors. Uh, you know, Michigan is pretty young, even though they're good and they have a two, you know an All American center. They have some some young players. They're much younger than Seton Hall. They have some really talented young guys in the mix. So it's hard to say. I will say it's a, it's it's easy to point out the biggest key to the game, which is Hunter Dickinson, Michigan center, is terrific. And if you can't stop him, you're not going to win. I mean, he can really destroy anybody. So, like, Seton Hall is going to run several bodies at him. That's a nice part about having depth. But it starts with Ike Obiagu. He's got to... He's got to limit his foul trouble, and he's got to deal with this guy. I'll, I'll be shocked if he doesn't start. And he's a really good defensive center. But Dickinson's got it all. I mean, he can shoot, pass. You know, he's, he's athletic, uh, runs the floor, obviously a good rebounder. So the, the number one thing on the scouting report is going to be dealing with him and preventing him from totally destroying the inside. And I don't want to say that it will be an easy task because it won't be. But having been at Prudential Center – on Sunday to watch the game against jail. I knew it reading the previews, hearing all the conversation about how big Seton Hall is, but seeing it in person was really impressive. So my point is, yes, you're right. Uh, Obiagu is going to be a key, but they've got some bodies that they can run at Dickinson, some athletic guys, not just big guys who might be a, a little slower afoot compared to Dickinson or some of their teammates at Seton Hall. So Kevin Willard's got a lot of options in trying to 
at least slow down, if not contain, the big man for Michigan. They do, but the other thing is, you know, he those bigs, they have to play inside. So we know we know Ike will play inside. Mm-hmm. But Seton Hall's other bigs have shown a predilection for, for drifting on the perimeter, which is fine. You know, it's good that they're versatile players and they can hit shots. That That is a weapon in a lot of senses. But if those guys aren't grinding inside, Michigan's going to shred Seton Hall inside. They have other big guys, Michigan, and they're, they're tough. So, like, you, it's going to be imperative that Tyrese, Samuel, and Trey Jackson and Alexis Yetna their primary focus has to be on the paint, rebounding, defending the paint, and also offensive rebounding. So you're not going to be able to get away with drifting around the perimeter if you're those guys against Michigan, maybe now and then, but it, it can't be your staple thing. So it'll be interesting, interesting to see if these guys can commit to that kind of grinding inside. If they do, then they certainly there's certainly enough of them where they can go toe-to-toe with and not lose bodies to foul outs and you know, maintain a physical presence throughout the game. But there has to be a will there and an intent to do it. And we'll see what happens with that. Have you learned anything about Seton Hall in the first two games of the season, the win against FDU and then Sunday against Yale? Well, they're a lot deeper than I thought. So, look, every year the coach says, you know, most coaches in Willard too, most years they tout how much depth they have. And then you start playing games and you realize they're not as deep as, as he said because so-and-so can't get off the bench or can't contribute. So Willard's playing 10 guys. He never really plays 10. For him, that's a lot. I think he has nine legitimate, you know, Big East quality, proven Big East guys, it looks like. Uh, and it's a lot. Nine's a lot. So they're deeper than I thought. I do. I wrote this, and I do think it seems like the deepest team since the P.J. era. You know, P.J. had teams where Anthony Avent was coming off the bench and where Adrian Griffin was coming off the bench. I mean, these guys had long NBA careers. And they were coming off the bench. So I don't, I'm not saying Seton Hall is an NBA guy sitting on their bench subbing in, but they have really a really good bench. And the other thing is, it's nice to see Bryce Aiken shine. He's been through a lot. You know, people who didn't see him play at Harvard, Seton offense probably thought last year he just stinks. He couldn't make the transition to the high major level. That's, that's not true. It was never true. Aiken just couldn't stay on the court. And so can he make it through this whole season healthy? I don't know. Would I place money on that? Probably not. But Seton Hall's not going to overuse him. They don't have to overuse him now because they have all these people. So that does increase his odds of of getting through. And he's really good. To bring a guy like that off your bench, I mean, any coach in the country would, would consider that to be a luxury. So they're deeper than I thought. Aiken is, is, is ready, which I didn't know if he would be. And those are two really nice things going on. Now, they played excellent defense the last two games. Is that going to continue? I mean, they're certainly capable of it. Uh, is that going to continue against Michigan in this setting? That we'll have to see. But so far, all the signs, Matt, extremely positive. Team looks better than I thought through two games. Jarrett Roden did not play in the opener. He played against jail. He came off the bench. Uh, the ankle looked good. There's a time limit that was placed on him for yesterday. Uh, and after the game on Sunday, coach said, mm, probably still has a little bit of a limit. We'll see. What do you think? Is he off the bench for a while, or does he start sooner rather than later? Maybe as early as That's a as great tonight. question. That's, that's a great question. I think he'll be, they'll put him into the lineup soon. They're going to need, you know, if not Michigan, soon after that, they're going to need his physicality. As this thing ramps up, you know, Ohio State's waiting after this, and maybe Florida after that. 
they're going to need his physicality. They're just not physical enough without him. I mean, they have they have physical some physical guys, but he's the guy. You know, he's the main guy. The nice thing is, as Kevin pointed out, Matt, they don't have to rely on him the way like if Sandro had a bad game last year, they were cooked. You know, uh, that's not the case this year, but they do need his presence. And so, yeah, if he one of the keys to beating Michigan is he has to play serviceably well for a decent amount of time. I just don't know they can beat Michigan if they're not getting what they need from Roden. Not that he has to produce a lot, but he has to defend. He has to rebound. He has to be a physical leadership type presence. So I would think if they don't, if not starting him, Kevin said minutes count. Who knows with Kevin and the injuries? <laughs> I think he'll probably. My guess is, my guess is he'll probably start. And he's, if not this game, he's going to start very soon. All right. So for those who are listening, uh, they know that name. They know Miles Kale. They know about Bryce Aiken, even though last year between no fans in the stands and his injury, uh, they didn't know what necessarily to make of him. But I agree with you. He is terrific. So they know some of those guys. No question about it. They know Ike. Tell me a little bit about Alexis Yetna. And then we'll get to a couple of the other new guys. Honestly, my bad. I didn't realize he could shoot from the outside. It's a little unorthodox, kind of a wonky-looking shot, but he made three from three. Yeah, he, and he had one shot where he – it was a catch-and-shoot where someone was closing out on him from the right wing, I think it was, Matt, and he got that ball and lightning with a lightning release got that off. And not a, he not rushed, just a quick trigger release, and it went in. That was a big-time stroke. He looked like a shooting guard doing that. So – Yet is interesting because he's from South Florida, okay, and he uh, he's an you know an overseas guy who Tony Skin knew uh, from his overseas contacts. He's I think he's from France, Paris, France. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he he plays in South Florida as a freshman. He's the rookie of the year in the American Athletic Conference, which is a pretty good league. And then he gets hurt, he misses a year, and then he plays again, and he plays I think most of his season and does pretty well. And now he's coming here, and you know they don't, they don't need him to do everything the way South Florida did, but he's the closest thing. Look, you don't throw around Angel Delgado's name lightly at Seton Hall. He's the closest approximation to someone to, to Delgado that they've had since he left in the sense that he's a man. He can rebound. His rebounding rate is high, uh, and he's tough. now. But he can also hit this shot. So, yeah, versatile guy. I think probably their best big – not probably, certainly their best big man – as the season unfolds, that's what we're going to see. Kadari Richmond comes over from Syracuse. Um, looked better Sunday against Yale than he did against FDU. Not that it was bad against the Knights. What does he need to do to settle in fully at Seton Hall? What can we expect? What can Seton Hall expect from him? He looks like he still has a long way to go, Matt. Uh, he did play better against Yale. It was his first time in three games, including the exhibition, where he looked somewhat comfortable. Uh you know, he's a good passer. He's the best passer they have. But uh, he, he he's not even coming close to making the open shots they're giving him. He does. He can get to the rim and score at the rim. But Michigan, they're going to do their homework. They're going to sag on him. So whether he takes the shot or attacks the rim and forces a shot, attacks the rim, draws and dishes, these are decisions he's going to have to make. And Michigan is going to really – they're going to really dare him to, to shoot the ball, I think. Uh, defensively, he hasn't really played well. He fouled out of the FDU game. He only had one foul yesterday. They didn't really need him defensively. He did play pretty well, but they had so many guys swarming the perimeter. 
he, you know, he's having a tough, tough time, I think, transitioning from the 2-3 zone to man-to-man. I don't know how great of a natural defender he is. So he's their starting point guard. He's going to have to play much better than we've seen from him so far in order to, for them to beat Michigan. Michigan's going to squeeze him as the pressure point with Eli Brooks. I'm telling you right now, that's the guy they're going to try to disrupt. And if they trip him up, does it trip up the offense? That's a concern. And the last player I'll ask you about is Jameer Harris. I, I liked what I saw, just steady. Uh, can he make that jump on a consistent basis from a lesser league to the Big East? Because we've seen other players in other leagues try to make that jump too, and sometimes it doesn't work out. The beauty of Harris is he's that piece, Matt, that they have lacked, that every really good team has, and it's a three-point specialist. So it, what his stroke is so good. I mean, if he's open, he's probably going to make the shot. So the key is they're not asking him to do too much. You know, an American, he had to do everything. He had to drive the bus, sell tickets, <laughs> distribute popcorn. I mean, he had to do everything. That's an old Bobby Gonzoism, I'm yeah. sorry to say. Um, anyway, he he uh, he doesn't have to do everything here. He just need. I mean, he needs to defend. Obviously, he's not defending. He's going to come out. And he's not. A, he's not a big guy. Uh, but he he just needs to hit his open threes really on offense, and he's going to get some if Seton Hall moves the ball well enough. So, you know, every team needs that sniper, that three-point specialist that stretches the D. Every time he touches the ball, I sit next to the opposing benches you know, on the baseline there, and every time he touches the ball, everybody stands up and yells, shooter, shooter, shooter. So because people know, and he's going to get his open looks if the offense flows well, and he's got to make them. It might be, it might be three or four a game, five a game looks that he gets. He's got to make, you know, a, at least two or three of those. And if he does that, he's going to be a weapon that they haven't had. Don't expect more from him than that. But if you get that from him, man, that is a nice thing to have. Two for four from three yesterday. That's great. Two Jim for four Harris. is good. Yep, yep. So how do you hear the benches where you're sitting? Because you're right in front of the student section at Prudential Center. They've been awesome in the two games, really loud. So you're not drowned out. You can still get the coaches, still get the bench saying, shooter, shooter. <laughs> You hear it all, man. I get every, I'm deaf when I walk out of there, man. I have I have the bench screaming on my right. I got the students going nuts behind me. I have to tell you, th- there's no. This has been the best student section by far, by far since the Prudential Center opened. You got to go back probably to the glory days in the early '90s, when the, the student section rivaled this in terms of size and intensity. There were some good ones. You know, I was in a couple of them. Uh, <laughs> they were good ones. So, well, you know, my day, that type of thing, you know, they were good. But I, there's no, since I've been on the beat in 03, and certainly since the Prudential Center opened in 07, they have not had anything comparable to this. And this is, you know, they have 1,300 season tickets sold to students. That's like almost a quarter of the school's enrollment. So that's a lot. Uh, at Rutgers, that would be like having 10,000 people in your student section. <laughs> So it's really good, and they've been awesome. They've been loud uh, consistently. They've had some creative chants. They've been great. The students really feed off that. Those things matter deeply. you know. So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And if you're getting this for FDU and, and Yale in November, man, when Texas and Rutgers come in in a couple of weeks, it is going to be a circus, and that's what you want. Absolutely. I know yesterday, working at Prudential Center, and I'm not privy to everything that goes on there, but I know the – the word was that there'd be a certain attendance number, and it turned out it exceeded it by like 1,500, 2,000. So the fans did turn out, not all 
not all of them the student section, but I know the fans are behind this club. I, I think they, they, they sense that after missing the playoffs, the playoffs, <laughs> talking hockey, <Yeah. laughs> missing the NCAA tournament last year and the way it just fell apart at the end and the disappointment that there might be a little something special brewing and that, you know, Kevin Willard's got the, the, the train uh, back on and the, the track. Going and the, the other right thing, way. Matt, is this is what you get when you have seven straight winning seasons. You know, I mean, when you Seton Hall went to went to four four straight NCAA tournaments, I lose track. 16, 17, 18, 19. Yes, and then yep. twenty. They obviously they didn't get a chance to. So they had five straight NCAA tournament seasons, and then a winning season last year, one game above five hundred. This is what happens when you have six straight winning seasons and five NCAA tournament you know seasons in a bunch in a row. This is the this is the fruit of it. The fruit of it is people come there wanting to watch basketball and support the team. And they've grown that. So credit to Kevin Willard and the administration there and all the players who made this happen. That's it doesn't happen overnight. That's been homegrown. And Willard's a great representation, uh, a representative, I should say, for Seton Hall. Uh, you know, who knows what the future holds, but he's been there a long time now. He's part of the 12 fabric. years, as, lo- as long as P.J. Colissimo. It's, Matt, it's incredible. Didn't it, didn't it seem like P.J. was the coach forever? Like, he was Seton Hall. You know, it seemed like a hundred years he was there. Like this is Kevin is in his twelfth year. Like he's he's matched PJ's tenure as far as years, and he's going to pass him on the wins list. You know, in a, in a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah, and and Seton Hall is well served by what he's brought. Uh, he's taken a program that had fallen down pretty dramatically, and he's gotten student athletes back playing. He's got them in the tournament. And uh, he's just been great. And I hope he stays around for a long, long time. It just seems like a good fit, but you know how it is in, in, in modern day athletics. Uh, somebody comes a call in and you never know what the response will be. But I hope he sticks around for a long, long sure. time. He's been great. He's been terrific. Um, last couple of things and then we'll let you go. Uh, what is the best case scenario tomorrow? Seton Hall wins, of course. Uh, what does it take to get there? And then we'll touch upon what would still be a good outcome, even if it's not in a win. So the best case scenario is a victory. How do they get there? So, I mean, in order to win the game tomorrow, they're going to have to withstand an early punch. Uh, Michigan's going to come out like out a shot out of a cannon with their home crowd. Uh, they have to, so it, Seton Hall could very easily fall behind by eight or 10 points. And with the way Michigan defends, that could cost them the game, okay? It might be a very hard hole to come out of. This has been an elite defensive team under uh, Juwan Howard and Phil Martelli. They scout really, really well. They have a reputation for being one of the best scouting staffs in the country. And so you fall behind, it's going to be tough to come back. So they have to, they're going to have to do that. They're going to have to defend, defend the paint to the point where they don't get crushed inside. You know, can they go even on the boards with, with Michigan or maybe just a little bit negative, a little bit in the minus? Can they keep Hunter Dickinson from dropping 25 and 12? Um, he's that good. So, yeah, those will be those will be the primary things. And then, you know, ultimately it comes down to you got to hit shots. But to me, hitting shots is not going to be isolation ball. Let me beat this guy off the dribble or blow by somebody or like step back and jack this three. You know, you're not going to do that against Michigan's athletes. You got to in order to beat Michigan, you're going to have to pass the ball. And if they share the ball well, they can they can hit shots if they can if they can earn good looks. So if those things fall into place, they can win this game. Seton Hall is good enough to win 
but they got to do the right things and they got to do the right things for pretty close to 40 minutes. And of course, the worst case scenario would be nothing goes right. You get blown out early and you try to regroup for Ohio State the next week as the schedule rolls on and continues uh, to get tougher and tougher. A couple of cupcakes there. I don't, I don't foresee them getting blown out, Matt. I mean, listen, anything could happen. But the team I see in the last two games, I'd be surprised if they get blown out. I could see them, Michigan, at an arm's length, maybe like eight to ten points. You know, I'd, I'd be surprised if Seton Hall lost by 15 or more, really. I think you probably would, too. Yeah, I would, too. So what I'm saying is, barring either outcome, the 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 win or a bad loss, like a good loss is okay for Seton Hall yeah, with what they're trying to do. Lot of, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on this game. I mean, this is a primetime national game in the Gavit games. It really is probably the marquee game in the whole affair, the Big Ten versus the Big East. You're going to have Raph on the on, on the on the uh, color color analyst. This is there's going to be a ton of eyeballs on this. See the beauty of college basketball, Matt, and maybe hockey's like this. I don't know. Certainly, certainly, football, college football, and the NFL are not like this. The beauty of college basketball is you can have a constructive loss. You can lose a game that you can gain from because there's a lot of games. It's a long season. You're out of conference. You can you can send a message to people and to yourself that you're a legit you know national scale contender even in a loss at Michigan and that that's, that may well be the outcome Tuesday night. Yeah, send a message to yourself. Uh, yesterday, Jared Roden says you know we're like dogs and you know <laughs> you know he was he was terrific in his comments, but he was sending a message out. You can do that on the court as well, and then those words reverberate back to the team he's saying it as a leader but now some of the other guys if they can see it as well it, it starts to percolate no question about it yeah jerry so, uh, that's that, that's that's gonna be exciting and that's the thing about jerry one more thing about jerry like yeah. they they do every team that needs leadership right no matter how many got balance there is no matter how many guys can can put the ball in the basket every team needs a leader and Roden is has the potential to be an exceptional leader for this group. So that's something they have going for them for sure. I know after the news conferences were over yesterday, you were going around telling everyone, we got to ask for Jared Roden every game because his <laughs> quote is game. so good, right? He's so quotable, so mature, and he's yeah. a terrific player. So what a combination. I'll tell you this. I, I have asked if they win the game tomorrow night, I've asked if we can get Roden on a conference call afterwards and maybe we will be late we'll see but it'd be great to have that well jerry it's great to have you on this show as always i really appreciate it uh you do so much on the business side of things as you're a news columnist you're the college basketball writer extraordinaire but you're also an adjunct professor at Kane. you're raising a family i mean i don't know how you do it but you do it well and i really am grateful that you shared some time today Thanks a lot, Matt. No problem. It's a labor of love. And as you know, because it's, it's the same thing with what you do with the Devils, if it's a labor of love, it really it really is not hard work. That is true. Be well, my friend, and we'll see you soon. Thank you, sir. And that will wrap things up for this edition of Pirates Talk. Thanks to Jerry Carino for sharing his time. He's about as busy as anyone I know in this business. He's a terrific writer, both on the sports side and as a news columnist. He's done some wonderful reporting on community stories that have made Jerry a must-read in hoops and in news. You can follow him on Twitter at at NJHoopsHaven. And of course, you can read him in the Asbury Park Press or online at app.com. 
He's one of the best college hoops writers in the country. Pirates Talk is available wherever you subscribe to podcasts. I invite you to rate the show, leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. And if you do drop a note, I might very well mention you on an upcoming show. Special thanks, as always, to Pat Christensen, the sound engineer of the program and the writer and performer of the Pirates Talk theme. And thanks to you for your company. It's very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Matt Lachlan. Be safe, be well, and let's go Pirates! Pirates!